Welcome to Rethink, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm Maggie Flynn, and joining me on the podcast is Randy Ostra, the president and CEO of ProMedica Health System. ProMedica made headlines in 2018 when it acquired the operations of the HCR Manor Care Nursing Home chain. And as a result, Randy has a unique vantage point from which to assess the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as how it might affect healthcare in the years to come. So I'm joined by Randy Usher from Promedica. Thank you so much for making the time to join me amid the COVID-19 pandemic. I know things are very busy right now, so I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, no, great to be with you today. So I wanted to ask you about the entire situation that we're in because it really intersects with what Promedica does on so many different levels. You have the manor care operations and you are a major health system. From where you're sitting, how would you assess the response of the U.S. healthcare system to the COVID-19 situation thus far? Yes, it's, um, you know, probably multiple answers. So, you know, our organization is kind of a traditional delivery system with employed doctors in hospitals in uh, traditionally Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan, and a health plan, which is in multiple states. And then now, of course, with the, you know, purchase of HCR, manor care, we're in 28 states. And so kind of state by state, we've seen kind of a, a different sort of response. And, you know, each state is different. So we're working with multiple states, multiple governors, multiple, you know, sort of ideas and regulations and how they're working. And then nationally, I think what we're seeing is, again, you know, in in some ways, as much as I want to criticize, we're probably doing as good a job as we can. I, I think, you know, the idea that, you know, our stockpile should have been created and, and more up to date, I think that's valid. I do think we made a lot of mistakes in testing early on, and we're kind of paying the price for that. But I think, you know, in, in the markets that we serve, we see some markets where things are, you know, have stabilized and are going down. So that's positive. And then we're in other markets where we still are in the eye of the storm and a lot of, you know, a lot of activity and a lot of hard decisions about care being made. But, you know, I think overall, I think when I when I listen to what people are doing, some a little quicker than others to the game. I think what you look at is the lesson here. And the lesson I think that strikes us is that the model, the health model in America is broken. And we've had the wrong priorities for a long time. And I think what we're seeing now is this you know, idea that we need to change our priorities. So where would you put the focus on then as we go forward? Because obviously, the one thing people seem to be able to count on is that something will change because of this. But how do we make sure that we get the priorities right? What's been wrong before and and what needs to change now? Yeah, you know, uh, you hope we're going to change. And uh, what you worry about is, you know, we're just going to stay with what we know. You know, everything we know about the American healthcare model is broken. You know, we're headed toward... In just a few years, we'll be spending $6 trillion, over 19% of the gross domestic product, on a model that's, that's broken, that doesn't work anymore. It's a model that was created, you know, decades ago. a very hospital-focused model. And then when we look at the unaffordability, uh, bankruptcy being caused by healthcare, um, the number of seniors filing bankruptcy, the reports about people not being able to access care. In fact, there was a Gallup lately where I think one in 10 said they knew somebody that died prematurely because they couldn't access care. So we have this high cost model with lots of waste in it with a country that has maybe not the outcomes we want and lower life expectancy. And then when you look at the demographics, it's clearly, you know, we have great caregivers. I think we see that, but the model doesn't work. So we need a model that's much more based on taking care of seniors 
much more based on looking at social determinants of health and kind of what impacts people daily in their lives. And I think we've seen that as people with social determinant issues are more negatively impacted by COVID. And then our complete, you know, lack of investment in public health. And the only way those things happen is it's got to, the model has to be changed. And so one of the things that we've been talking about for several years and been kind of rattling around Washington, D.C., talking about a national commission on health. And the idea there is to create a new model for the future and that we would pivot to something different over a period of time. And so we're hoping that what comes out of this is that kind of focus. So can I ask how you want to put that into practice with with manor care? Because I know I've heard you, I've heard you speak about what Promedica was hoping to do with manor care regarding social determinants of health and, and care for seniors. Does anything of that focus change or does it get implemented differently now that COVID-19 is is here and sort of, you know, shaking up everything that we thought about the the way that infrastructure works? Yeah, you know, I think the uh, priority of senior care, at least nationally, should rise here. I think obnoxious to see kind of how the, the country has responded to, you know, the people providing care in nursing homes and uh, senior facilities across our country. The level of arrogance, you know, we've made, we've created a situation from a reimbursement standpoint that we've we've made folks working in senior facilities a punching bag for the media, for for plaintiffs, lawyers, for government officials, Medicaid continues to cut them. We, we've layered them with, with tons of bureaucracy and regulations. And even now, you know, this demand for transparency in, in a lot of states, the idea that the hospital is going to come to the rescue, but in the past, they've largely ignored the whole industry. So I think when you begin to think about, again, the changing demographics, how we want to age as a country, how we want to provide services for seniors, this has to be a time that, that we change. And hopefully, we will look at this and change as a country. A pessimist would say we're not. I mean, I think sometimes when we, we look at these things, we get the same people that, that are vested in the current model, that we're going to get them to change the model, which they never will. But hopefully, we see people that's, that, that step back from this and say, we need a rebalancing here of the healthcare model. And again, spend a lot more time and resources, a lot more respect for the elderly, and a lot more respect for people that have, you know, significant social determinative issues and public health issues and make those investments. So, so would you say the focus on hospitals and the healthcare system over the course of many years and, and even during the situation, it sounds like you think that's come at the expense of nursing homes and senior care. I guess what should be different about the way the healthcare system approaches post-acute care and care beyond just the post-acute setting? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things there. One is, I think, A, just start looking at the basics, demographics, which, you know, are, are going to greatly point out to all to all that, you know, we have more and more needs for investments in, in you know, um, senior care and senior facilities and healthy aging. Secondly, we know the Affordable Care Act devastated reimbursement, and we continue to see the pressure in reimbursement. You know, when you, you barely can operate at a profitable margin, when you get paid less than, um, you know, you would reimburse somebody for a hotel room, except you don't have any caregivers covered in that and, and food. And that'd be astonished that, you know, we're not able to provide higher levels of care. And I think, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't criticize and over-regulate and, and act like you're appalled. And then on the other hand, not give people in the senior world the adequate reimbursement to, to do the things they've wanted to do for a long time. 
So I, you know, I think as we we think about it again, it has to be in a lot of ways. It's probably a zero sum game. We spend a tremendous a lot of money on hospital care that's not necessary, and that frankly would be better spent other ways. A lot of hard choices there, but you know, as we think about rebalancing the healthcare system, and I think what we're seeing right now is we have to put more money in these other areas, and it has to come at some expense from some of our dollars that we put into uh, paying for procedures and hospitals and that sort of care. And that's a tough discussion, but we can't afford the current model, so we need to balance it into something that's, that's really going to provide much better services for people's lives. The point about the hotel reimbursement, I remember someone first made that to me when I started first started covering the nursing home industry a few years back. They just pointed out, they're like, all right, look at how much we make you know, per Medicaid patient per day. Now try and find a semi-decent hotel for that same price. And that's not with very complex medical care. And I remember stopping and thinking about that and just realizing, okay, that, doesn't, that math doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the frustrating thing here. You know, I've, I've been on some calls where all of a sudden now, you know, especially with hospital people and just a level of arrogance and looking down at people in the that take care of, you know, millions of residents every day in a, in a really respectful, great manner. And all of a sudden they're going to rush to tell them how to do their job for people that have been doing it for, you know, decades, if not 50 years. And, you know, the idea that they can do it better. And it's like, these are the, many of the same folks who prefer not to take care of Medicaid patients and some not even want to take care of Medicare patients. Because get paid enough. And so that's why, you know, I think, you know, if you think about how we judge society. It's how we treat our folks that are in their most times of need. And, you know, guess, you know, we think about fragile seniors and how we uh, invested or not invested. You'd almost argue and sounds kind of harsh, but it's almost a form of abuse, you know, that we have not made this kind of investments that we should. And we've sit back and let a model just go forward. And there seems to be no momentum or even thought about changing it. You know, we tweak it and we've got new buzzwords. And for a while, you know, we talked about value-based care and value-based care really isn't anything to a cost curve. The Affordable Care Act provided great, you know, a great level of increased access, but the cost went up. And so really, we, we really don't have a plan to change the model and, and direct resources or senior care or services in public health. And the idea that you do Medicare for all, it's like, let's take this broken model and just give a lot to a lot more people. But again, before you do that, let's change the model. And I think that's kind of what we're hoping will come out of this. So how is ProMedica working with Manor Care to change that model? I'm curious because you do have very close contact with this major nursing home operation. And I would imagine that, you know, there's an opportunity for each setting to learn from each other when you have that kind of close collaboration. So can you go into that a little bit? Just what are you guys doing to, to work together and kind of learn how to how to change that model, as you put it? Yeah, you know, uh, and again, we're, uh, we've gotten religion, if you will, over the last few years. And, uh, you know, we, we think a lot about, you know, how we deliver care in the future, what, what do facilities look like, how do we provide care. You know, we all want to stay home as long as we would like. We've spent a lot of time looking at hospital-at-home type services and developing that. We've got some, some pilot areas that we're launching as we speak. So we think there will be a lot more technology call it what you want, telehealth put into homes. So so we're spending a fair amount of time on that. We've also been pretty you know, successful early on in providing access of our doctors into our footprint. 
So you may have a doctor in Toledo, Ohio, talking to a nurse in a skilled nursing facility in Naples, Florida, and can access that that consultation 24-7. So because we have all of it under one umbrella, we're able to connect clinicians to people that are working, you know, day-to-day with people. And so we've been spending a lot of time on that. How do we make, you know, clinical connections to, you know, provide those more robustly? How do we think more about providing, you know, hospital services at home? And then on the other piece, we've done a lot to begin to address social determinants of health with a lot of our residents, including, you know, starting initially with food at discharge and also beginning to bring a lot of our social determinant work into the HCR footprint as well. So it's early on yet, but we think a lot of those areas make a lot of sense. We firmly believe a lot of healthcare will be delivered more and more to a consumer at home. And uh, we, we all say that, we all know that, we all want that. So that, you know, kind of in the first year and a half of our, our marriage here, that's kind of what we've been focused on. Well, and obviously the, the COVID-19 situation sort of came in came in unexpectedly in the middle of that timeline. So I'm sure that that's, that's had, that's forced a a bit of a pause on some of it, but I'm also, I also would imagine that it's, it's forced some, you know, thinking about how you approach some of the social determinants in the senior care setting. Has anything, you know, really kind of cropped up that you maybe weren't expecting or are surprised by as the COVID-19 situation has unfolded that's made you, you know, get some new insight into how the social determinants aspect might be, you know, applied or better implemented? Yeah, you know, I think I was talking to a, a gentleman this week, a business owner, and he was talking about, um, he said, this is going to sound terrible, all the positive things that have happened from COVID for, from him and his company. And a lot of it was the type of things that we're seeing in healthcare. It's the advancement of technology, learning new ideas and things and learning uh, things that we hadn't learned before. And then also, you know, appropriate setting for people and where they work from. So for us, you know, we've been all talking about health, you know, being able to talk to physicians online, having physicians participate in that. We've seen, and I think this is true in probably health system in the country, that's exploded. Doctors who in the past were hesitant because they've always, they grew up in a model where they had to see every patient and that was part of what they did. Now all of a sudden realize they can communicate online with folks see them on a video chat or talk with them. And I think what we're going to see is that ability to really advance that. So I think that's a positive. And I think that's going to be great when we think about delivering more services on a home basis and actually into to senior facilities is we're going to have a lot more physicians that are going to be very, very quickly adopting, you know, kind of uh, you know, virtual options. And so I think that that's a, a real, real positive. And then I think, you know, just some of the other things that, that we've seen come out of it is, again, a lot more focus on social determinants, looking at, at, at how we deliver services. So, so as we look at people in their homes, not only how do we deliver them, you know, the clinical service they need, but day in, day out, a lot more of those social services and how do we connect people to those. And we keep people in their homes and have a much more coordinated approach. And uh, I think we're seeing a lot of that and then a, a lot of interest very quickly in delivering healthcare at home, delivering a lot more, you know, uh, hospital type services at home. And you've probably seen the articles that some would guesstimate 30% of healthcare could be delivered in a home setting, provided that you know, you've got a right level of technology. And the idea, especially you're able to monitor people and watch them and, you know, many times we put people in hospitals to do that. So I think those have been the positives that we've seen kind of kind of pop out of this. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what kind of momentum it has after this. But one would guess, you know, there's a lot of these things that 
we're not going to go backwards on, but we're just going to see you know more interest in and more development. You would hope. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic in some ways about that, but there's also part of me that does just think about how short memories can be, and it makes me wonder, like, are we actually going to remember to just sort of keep this up and keep this going? But I couldn't say for sure. It's, it's too early to tell. This whole situation was kind of unthinkable even a few weeks ago, so it's hard to guess. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I'd vacillate. I'm, I could, I could be optimistic and say, yes, this is going to be end up this is a change, and we're going to learn from this. And then my pessimistic side, you know, even as we've rallied people together to talk about, you know, what we're going to respond, it's the same folks that are kind of anchored in place relative to a current model, and their economic and business interests are in the current model, and and why would they want to begin to change? So on any given day, it's just like we're going to forget quickly. We're going to go back to our old ways. You know, I read calls for more hospital beds across the country. We didn't say that a couple months ago, but now you know, we start to see that. So you can only hope that we'll learn. You know, what, what we keep lobbying for is this national commission. We've got a few you know, national commissions. And if you got the right people around the table, you know, of course, it'd have to be representative of of, of everyone and in, in industry and, and people and, and different demographics. But the idea that we want to change and come up with a different model, and again, because we sit here today, and well, what's going to be different five years, 10 years from now? And uh, I think we would say nothing. We're going to continue to do things incrementally. So, so you're right. You know, um, Today, I'll be optimistic and say I think there's a hope and an opportunity that we can do that. But I think it's political wealth, too. And I think, you know, we've been chatting about this National Commission, what we've heard for the last two years from folks, well, it's not the right time. And we've heard that half a dozen times for different reasons. So hopefully now we take this as this is the right time. Given this crisis that we have around the world, let's step back from this and, and, and let's do the right thing. It's interesting you mentioned the hospital bed capacity, because like you said, I don't remember ever hearing like people arguing that we needed more hospital beds until all of this happened. And then all of a sudden you just hear about, you know, there's not enough beds, there's not enough capacity. And I just thought it was so interesting when I when I saw you post on LinkedIn that that's not what is needed, you know, right now. And, and I hadn't thought about it, but you had a point that we we never really argued that before this. So it's it's interesting to see the conversation shift. <sighs> yeah, and you know, and again, it's from a person who's worked my whole career in in hospitals. You know, what's happened, and, and um, there's there's some traction for this. You know, we only care for people inside our walls. You know, once you walked in our walls, we took care of you. You walked out of our doors, and you lived in a box. You didn't have food. You couldn't afford the medication. That wasn't our problem. And what we see now is a more increasing realization that no, that is our problem, and we, we need to build a more integrated world. And uh, we have the technology and the, the opportunity to do it. And uh, again, it's just we're mired in a traditional hospital-based model that we built um, through the Hilburton Act of hospital beds all over the all over the country. We don't need them anymore in a lot of situations. We don't need them the way they currently operate. We need to change that. And if you did it thoughtfully, it wouldn't mean that communities would lose their services. It would just um, they would be refocused to something maybe a lot less hospital-centric. But what you worry is if we don't have those dialogues, what we're going to see is just people will close, and then we'll see, see, we, we should have done that. But I think it's having some thoughtful folks think about what that new model is. I am curious, do you have thoughts on what that model might look like? 
You know, we've been pitching to folks for a long time that, you know, when we look at hospitals, especially in small communities, mission-based, nonprofit, very important uh, parts of their community for a lot of reasons. Uh, a lot of times they're the largest employer, they, they pay salaries that are really good in comparison to maybe the average salary of the communities. And so for a time, we've said, why don't we focus these into more of a socially-based service? And we call them social determinant centers. And I think you can do a lot of work in there at, at all ages. And so you still, you have an emergency room, I would guess. You would have urgent care, emergency type services, maybe, maybe even some smaller number of hospital beds. But a lot of the focus would be the social determinants of health, public health, and I think we'd have an opportunity to change those facilities instead of just letting them close, which if the economics don't work, let's fund them to do different things, become much more socially determinate based organizations. And uh, again, if we thought about that, that would make some sense because, you know, if you lose your hospital, you probably long term aren't going to keep, you know, your nurses and your doctors. And uh, once you you know, lose that, you, you, you lose a, a part of your community, and we, we see that a lot when we study rural communities. So I think that sort of idea would have some play. So, you know, we talk about critical access hospitals. What about, you know, what about this social determinants of health sort of idea? And I think that could be a path, and, and the, the, the beauty of that, it addresses a lot of the, the issues that we're seeing today that we're not investing. And then to bring that same question over to the nursing home side, I guess, what should change about the, the senior care and, and nursing home model from your vantage point, especially with manor care? Because, you know, there's a lot of questions swirling around that model right now, prompted because of the, the COVID-19 situation. But, many, but much of what we're seeing is sort of the result of policies that have been years in the making. So I guess I want to take that same question and just ask you, well, how do you think senior care and nursing home care should look different in this, you know, shifting understanding of healthcare? Right. So, you know, I think we learn a lot here from what's happening right now. I mean, it's congregate living. People are very close. They, you know, eat together. They're, in many cases, you know, they've got underlying medical issues in addition to being elderly. So automatically, we've, you know, created a situation where people are much more susceptible if we want to change that and we want to you know, have different different types of care, different levels of care, maybe even different facility sort of ideas relative to you know, infection control and those sort of things, such a reimbursement. And so, again, you can't reimburse them at such a low level and expect a different level of care. So I think it starts there. And then we're always going to have to have, you know, residences to take care of patients that are no longer able to stay home. So we're, we're, we're always going to have nursing homes and always, you know, have rehab centers and, you know, making sure that, again, we treat them with a level of respect and we treat them with the type of reimbursement and, you know, provide the attention that we need to make sure those are the type of places that we want them to be. And I think it starts with all that. And then when we, we look at that and we go back upstream, you know, we begin to think about the type of services that, that we want to deliver at home in a more robust manner. And again, I think that gets back to innovations, get back to level of reimbursement, and really encouraging people to use telehealth, use the technology, pay for these sort of things. And again, it would be moving people out of the hospital setting, but making that, that home sort of opportunity much more robust. And then surrounding it as well to make it more holistic with the social determinants, which are incredibly important. And so I think, you know, a lot of this kind of starts with making sure that we resource it correctly, that we start with, you know, providing the right level of care at home, uh, both clinical and non-clinical type care that people may need. 
weaving in the social determinants of health, taking care, care of people at home, maybe using nursing home facilities, rehab facilities in a little different way to take care of patients that typically were in hospitals for the next step. Then go to the hospital if you need, and then, of course, for rehab and for those that need it, have a more robust manner for skilled nursing. And again, when you begin to look at all the demographics, thinking through that and how we do that in a, a much more responsible and respectful way, driving it off of, of you know, reimbursement and innovation. Yeah, I think those are the kind of things that when we think about a new day, those are the kind of things that we hope would come out of this as well. And there's good and bads that have come out of some of the, the critique of the nursing homes. You could say it's bad because a lot of people have just taken pot shots. It's good then, you know, hopefully it's called some attention like, hey, we need to think about this differently and change some things. And it starts with a lot of the things we chatted about today. Yeah, this is definitely a situation where I think a lot of people are are learning about parts of the healthcare system that they hadn't thought about before. At least that is the impression that I get. I certainly know I am in many ways, even though the skilled nursing setting is one that I know. I've learned more than I ever thought I would about things like testing and laboratories and, you know, so on and so forth in this situation. So hopefully, hopefully that can play out on a broad scale where where the US kind of reassesses much of its healthcare system. <laughs> Right. No, exactly. That's got to be the hope today. And that's got to be the hope that comes out of this. I think it's all political well. And so hopefully people will call for, um, you know, some changes and that the right group of people look at it. Not only is it just, you know, a public health crisis, but also how we change the entire healthcare model. Yeah, the political will aspect is definitely going to be interesting to see how that plays out after after this happens. Right now, I think most of the energy is just focused on making sure we get through it, but there will be an aftermath. So that will right. be right. that where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think there's a, I can't remember the author's name right now, but I think somebody wrote something recently, a book on the political determinants of health. And that's a real big part of this as well. It's, there's a will, you know, people will respond. And I think it's, you know, you need some political will to, to get something done. Indeed. Well, Randy, thank you so much for, for making the time to join me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I can't imagine how busy everyone is there on both the hospital side and the and the manor care side. So I really appreciate you making the time today. Oh, it was great to be with you. And uh, hopefully you're, you're doing well in your apartment and be safe. <laughs> thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink. And if you like what you heard, feel free to subscribe on the platform of your choice, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, you can sign up for our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.